This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. I'm Mike Vardy. Are you a small business owner struggling to find the right talent for your team? I've been there and I know how challenging it can be. That's why I recommend LinkedIn Jobs. It's not just any job board. It's a community where you can find professionals who are the perfect fit for your business, many of whom aren't checking other job sites. In fact, 70% of LinkedIn users aren't visiting other leading job sites, making LinkedIn your best bet for finding top talent. With LinkedIn Jobs, you can post your job and reach qualified candidates quickly. 86% of small businesses find a qualified candidate within 24 hours. And now... You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash conversation. That's right, for free. Don't miss out on finding top talent. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash conversation today. Terms and conditions apply. Starting an online business or expanding your physical storefront online has never been easier thanks to Shopify. This global commerce platform supports you at every stage of your business journey. From launching your online shop to managing a million orders, Shopify is there to simplify and accelerate your growth. It's not just about selling products. Shopify helps you manage every aspect of your business with their all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system. But that's not all. Shopify helps you convert visitors into customers with the best converting checkout process on the internet, which performs up to 36% better than other platforms. And now a special offer for my listeners. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash timecrafting, all lowercase. Whether you're just starting out or looking to scale up, Shopify is the perfect partner for your business. Meal planning is important because it prevents us from being a disappointed wreck when dinner time comes around and we have no clue what to make or even if we have the ingredients to make the meal. It's a time and a money saver, but most importantly, it frees up valuable brain space. Creating a meal plan prepares us for the week to come and gives us peace of mind that we're organized and can feed ourselves and our family. That's why I do it, and that's why Plan to Eat helps me do it. Your subscription includes access to the Plan to Eat website and fully featured mobile apps on iOS and Android. And Plan to Eat gives you the tools to clip and organize recipes from any website, the ones your family loves and that fit your dietary preferences and needs. And you can create a meal plan around your schedule. Then what happens is the Plan to Eat software automatically creates an organized shopping list based on your plan. So sign up for your free trial at plantoeat.com slash timecrafting. That's plantoeat.com forward slash timecrafting. The coupon will be automatically applied to your account and can be used when you're ready to subscribe. It's valid for new customers only. Give Plan to Eat a try today. And this is the Productivityist Podcast. Hey, everybody. Thanks again for joining me on the podcast this week. I have a very special interview, a return guest for me in that I've interviewed him before, uh, Todd Henry. He is the author of Louder Than Words, and I'm really, really excited to have him on the show. He's a Bengals fan. He lives in Cincinnati, so it makes sense he's one, whereas I don't, and that makes it difficult for me to explain why I am a Bengals fan. Uh, Spoiler alert. 
It's uh, from 1981, and I really liked their helmets when I was that young, seven years old. So do the math, and you'll figure out how old I am. Uh, <laughs> uh, we talk about uh, you know how to uh, you know harness that that the power of your authentic voice. Uh, that's why this episode is called Voice Lessons, because Todd and I dive into that. We talk about a whole bunch of really cool things. Uh, if you want to hear the whole interview, then you can head over to patreon.com slash productivityist and get the entire episode as a supporter. I'll talk more about that after we uh, we chat here with Todd Henry. just wanted to say that before this episode launches that for some reason, and I should have checked on this and I will do it from now on, Skype de- uh, kind of defaulted to the laptop mic rather than, you know, the mic that you would normally hear me speak off of during this uh, discussion with Todd Henry. So I apologize for the uh, sound quality on my side of the conversation. I don't, uh, hopefully uh, it doesn't distract you too much from the actual content because it's a lot of great stuff. So again, I apologize for that and looks like I'll be checking Skype going forward to make sure that that doesn't happen. So uh, without uh, further ado, let's just dive into things, okay? And again, uh, thanks for joining me. With me right now is Todd Henry. Todd is the founder of Accidental Creative and the author of several books, but his newest book is called Louder Than Words, Harness the Power of Your Authentic Voice. Todd, thanks for joining me this week. Mike, it's great to be here. Thanks. Now, before we dive in, I want to go a little bit off book right off the top, (laughs) and you know where I'm going. I think you know where I'm going. We're coming up, as as we're recording this, we're in the preseason. Oh, here we go. <laughs> you Every don't get time. To, you don't, but you don't get to talk about this, I don't think, on many other shows, right? That's true. That's a good point. That's yeah. a, you know, we need to create a Cincinnati Bengals podcast. There is, is what we need to do. There is one, actually. It's called Inside the Jungle. It's run right. by Nick Superling. We were just talking about Patreon, uh, which uh, you know anyone who's listening to this uh, publicly, the Patreon edition is going to get like more content. You're all here in this, though. But Nick Suberling runs. It's called Inside the Jungle. It's it's actually a really fantastic podcast. I'm a supporter of it. You might want to check it out because they do like a call and show and it's really great. But where I want to find out, like, what do you think this year in terms of where they're at? Are we going to be the same old letdown like we have been every year? Do we even make the playoffs this year? The Cincinnati, you know, Cincinnati Bengals are our team. So let's let's we'll, we'll touch on this really briefly and then we'll move into the real like the reason I brought you on the show. <laughs> Fantastic. I am. Uh, I'm very hopeful this year. I am. I feel like, you know, we it's kind of like the thing where we think that success comes all at once. It doesn't. It comes in layers. And I feel like uh, as a team, the Bengals are poised to actually begin to experience some of the fruit of the last several years of almost success. And I don't even know if you could call it almost success. I mean, here the press in Cincinnati, where where I live, I mean, they the Bengals just take a beating. And I'm like, are you kidding? Do you remember the 1990s when <laughs> we were O for the world? I mean, we've made the playoffs how many years out of the last, you know, seven or eight years? I mean, five, it's crazy. Five of, I think it's five out of the last six years, isn't it? Five out of the last six years, we've made the playoffs. And yeah, we haven't won a playoff game. Yeah, we haven't gone far. You know, but listen, we're playing for it, right? We're still playing in January, which is amazing. So, uh, you know, I think anybody who's complaining about that is just off their rocker. I mean, we could, you know, we could be rooting for any number of other teams in the NFL right now that haven't made the playoffs in years and years and years. So, I'm, <laughs> I'm actually really, really grateful for for what the team has done, and I'm actually really hopeful that it's going to happen this year for them. That they're at least going to win a game or two in the playoffs. You know, I don't know if we'll go all the way, but listen. Um, Eifert looks great. I think Dalton, I think anybody who complains about Dalton is insane. I think he is, 
Uh, I think he's a, a really good quarterback, a really good solid quarterback. And yeah, I mean, he hasn't delivered in the playoffs. I understand that. He's had a couple of key choking kind of moments, but but listen, he is he's delivered consistently. So anyway, that's my two cents. All right, so let's talk about delivering consistently because you've been doing that over the past few years with like you've had a book out like what every year, basically every eighteen months for the last little while, right? Isn't would that be a fair assessment? You know, it's been every two years almost on the dot since two thousand eleven. So this is my third since two thousand. 11. So July 2011, September 2013, August 2015. So your last book, Die Empty, was we talked about that on, I think we ended up talking about that on, it would have been back when I was doing mics on mics, I think. But I want to talk a bit about uh, your new book. I want to talk extensively, actually, about why did you decide to talk about voice in this one? Because, I mean, in Die Empty, you've, you've talked about, you know, kind of putting it all, like, putting it all out there and, and living life so that when you die, like, there's no fuel left in the tank. You've given it all you, you have. And then Axel Creative, I mean, that that's that's that was your, st- your opening, you know, kind of part of... The, I'm not going to call it a trilogy, but I mean, because <laughs> I don't think it really is a trilogy. I mean, yeah. so so let's let's. Let, why did you decide to to write about voice at at this juncture? So the accidental creative, as you mentioned, was all about organizing. It was mm-hmm. primarily about how do you position yourself to deal with the pressure and the uncertainty of the create on demand world and all of these kinds of things that many of us deal with every day. Uh, Die Empty was really about, okay, great, you're organized. Now, are you actually spending your, yourself, your finite resources on the right things? Are you doing the right work every day? You know, doing your best work every day? And that's great too. Uh, louder than words really, however, takes that to the next level and says, okay, great. You're, you're doing the right work, but is anybody going to care? Is anybody going to pay attention? Um, you know, because the reality is that attention for your work is not a birthright. Um, you can do great work and you can put work out there. You can spend days, weeks, months, years producing something and put it out there to a collective. So what from the world, um, if you haven't developed a resonant compelling voice over time. If your work isn't consonant and precise and it doesn't, um, it isn't rooted in something of substance, then people aren't going to care. And so I kind of feel like the books have built upon each other in a way, um, because I think that really this is kind of the final step in making your work resonate. It's, it's cultivating and developing a voice that other people connect with. Well, I definitely think that some things that people can resonate with that, you know, my audience in particular is, is decision making. You know, I mean, that's something that, right. that people have struggled with, but they also have gotten hopefully through, you know, both of our work or even listening to my podcast or reading your past work or whatever, is that they have a chance to like, OK, I'm getting better at that. And, and you talk about that one of the most important things you, you, you have to do. Uh, need to do in order to develop an authentic voice is to consistently make decisions. So what do you mean by that? So art, really the art of um, creating anything is the art of making decisions in the face of uncertainty. That word decide means to cut off. It means to, to eliminate options. And we are in an age when people don't like to decide things. They don't like to commit because something else might come along that's better that that they like more, uh, and this is this is a problem because one of the necessities of um, doing work that is resonant and that connects with people and and ultimately that becomes compelling is creating uh, work that is founded upon strong and bold decisions. We have to be willing to commit to a path in order to create work that's going to connect with people, uh, which means by by 
the very nature of making a decision, you're going to offend some people. Um, you know, you're going to create something that some people simply aren't going to resonate with. That's just part and parcel of making art. That's part and parcel of doing work that is noteworthy is that you're going to offend some people. You have to have the courage to offend. Um, one of the, the great uh, stories I came across in the course of writing this book. Actually, the, the reason that I wrote this book, quite frankly, uh, was in 2013, I got this kind of, enig- in, uh, I can't say this word, enigmatic, is that the word? En- enigmatic. En- enigmatic or enigmatic? I guess Enigmatic, the, yeah. there we go. Uh, <laughs> text from a friend who said, um, dude, DJ Z Trip is reading your book. And then he sent a, a tweet of, uh, you know, a, fo- a copy of the accidental creative, like a photo of that. And, you know, this guy had said, hey, I just bought this book or whatever. And I'm, I'm checking it out for inspiration. And, you know, I, I'll be the first person to admit I am not thoroughly familiar with the hip hop scene or the say, DJ who, world, you know, who, who in the hell is that? <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. So. So I'm, you know, sort of like, oh, okay, that's really cool. That's great. You know, um, really neat. I'm glad when people discover the book. And then a couple of months later, I'm watching the Grammys and um, the closing number of the Grammys is, you know, L- they say coming up next, LL Cool J, Travis Barker. You know, I don't know if you remember when they did that, you know, Chuck D, mm-hmm. they did this sort of like closing number a couple of years ago. And so I'm watching this thing. I'm like, oh, I'll watch this. I'm watching the Grammys and, you know, LL Cool J is doing his thing and, you know, Chuck D and Travis Barker and, you know, all this stuff. It's really cool. And I look up behind them and there's this giant banner that says Z-Trip and this guy on the turntables. And I'm like, Z-Trip? That's the guy who was reading my book, you know? So I just look on Twitter and I reach out and I say, hey, um, you know, great job at the Grammys. Like, what do you say, you know? And I mean, within, and I'm thinking I'm never going to hear back from this guy, right? And within, uh, you know, uh, a, a short period of time, um, you know, he gets back to me and we start this interaction and, and I had discovered his, you know, amazing body of work, you know, it's just brilliant body of work. And so they were going to be coming through Cincinnati. He's the kind of the touring um, DJ. He tours with LL Cool J, right? It's his kind of touring DJ. And so, um, I went down to a show and we kind of hung out backstage. And so I was just kind of asking him, um, you know, Hey, uh, how did you, as a, as a DJ, you know, how did you get to a place where you were so compelling? You had such a defined style that, you know, I mean, I think there were like 20,000 people at the show that night, right? That, that all these people come out and like, you're able to sustain this for, you know, two hours while you're DJing with, with LL Cool J. And he said, you know, it's funny. He said, uh, I, you know, I grew up, um, in a situation where my parents got divorced and my, uh, my, my dad moved to, uh, New York and my mom was in Phoenix. And so I was kind of living between the two worlds and all my friends in Phoenix, like they all listened to rock, you know, rock music and all my friends in Brooklyn, you know, they all listened to hip hop. It was kind of the early days of the kind of hip hop thing. And so when I would go to Phoenix, I would want to introduce my Phoenix friends to all the hip hop. And when I would go to, you know, uh, to Brooklyn, I want to introduce my hip hop friends to all the rock stuff. And he said, when I started DJing, that kind of became my thing. I started like mixing rock and hip hop and all this stuff. And he said, and then Rick Rubin came along and like the Beastie Boys and Run DMC and all this stuff that was going on. And he said, all of a sudden it was like, but ah, there's my kind of beacon. There's my Mm. signal. I'm going to fly toward that light, you know? And that sort of became the genesis of what was the mashup movement, which he's kind of been a, a significant player in for the last, you know, couple of decades. Um, but what was really cool is he said, when you are developing as an artist, he said, everybody starts off with their roots. And for him, his roots were, you know, hip hop and rock. And then the inspiration of Rick Rubin and, and some of these other guys. And he said, you know, you start with your roots and then you start climbing the trunk. You stay really close to the trunk, really close to your influences. But he said, at some point, 
you have to branch out. You have to step out on the branch. You have to veer off of the trunk and you have to begin finding your own path and creating your own style. And he's like, the goal for me has always been to go so far out on the branch that I'm in the company of one. I'm so far out that nobody's going to follow me because they're afraid they're going to fall. And he said, the funny thing is the farther out from the branch I got, the more bold decisions I made with my work, the more loyal my fan base become. And honestly, the more successful I became. And I thought I was being really snarky. You know, I, I thought I would have this like really cool little comeback for him. I said, yeah, but, but, but uh, you know, what happens when you go so far out on the branch that the branch breaks and you fall to the ground. He said, oh, but that's the beautiful thing. He said, when the branch falls to the ground, that's when the new trunk is born. And then all of a sudden people are imitating you. And I was like, whoa, that's a pretty great comeback. I could tell he'd thought about that before, right? But I think that's what we have to do as creatives, as entrepreneurs, as people who want to build a substantive body of work. At some point, we have to veer away from the trunk, get away from our safety zone, get away from our influences. We have to step boldly out onto a branch to the point where we become a company of one. Why don't people do that? Because it's safer and close to the trunk. It's safer when you're emulating other people that you know are already successful. It's safer to be slightly deviant from the norm, but not all the way out on the end of the branch where you could fall off. Um, and then, you know, of course, there's always the, the, the question, what if I choose the wrong branch? What if I make the wrong decision with my work? You know, and so people would rather stay close to the trunk. But the reality is you could spend your entire life ho hover, hovering close to the trunk, hugging the trunk, climbing the trunk uh, and, and never veer off. And if that happens, then you're never going to know what kind of body of work you could have built if you had had the courage to make a bold decision with your work. Yeah. The fruit doesn't grow close to the trunk, right? That's exactly right. Now, uh, one of the things I want to ask you, because that was, that was awesome, but I want to like, when have you, like what, what struggles have you had when trying to get to your authentic voice? Cause I mean, you, this space that you dwell in is not without uh, it's it's already crowded environment. You know what I mean? Like there are a lot of people that write about this stuff. We were talking about that a little bit before. Like there's always going to be elements of that. So how do you kind of look at what you create and figure out how to make it unique? Because that's one of the things you talk about is, you know, like the uniqueness factor. Like what, how, how do you take time to do that? Because a lot of people, like you said, they're close to the trunk. You know, it's easier to be told what to do than to decide what to do. That's why decisions are, I mean, it's way easier for, that's why people check email first thing in the morning, right? Like what can someone else tell me to do today rather than me make that decision on my own either the night before or first thing in the morning, whatever. So right. how, how do you, how do you take that time to kind of say, all right, uh, I have this, I know I have something to offer that's very distinct and it's, it's purely mine. It's authentic. I, I know this. How do I, how do I take the time to identify that and spend time on it. Like what, what would you recommend? Well, it has to begin with what you care about, right? You have to be invested in your work. And that's really, when I talk about authentic voice, I think many people think I'm just talking about open the kimono and just show everything. And you know, if people like it, they do. If they don't, they don't, you know, it's all about transparency. And that's not really what I mean by authenticity. What I mean by authenticity is genuine investment, investment in your work to the point that people see you have skin in the game. People see that you're not just playing, that you actually care about not just the work, but about the results. And so you have to begin by asking yourself, what is it I really stand for? What do I really care about? Not what game am I playing? Not how can I manipulate the system to get a little more attention because attention is not equivalent to impact, right? But what do I really care about? What results do I really want to see um, in the end for the people that I'm trying to serve? And I mean, there are a couple of ways that you can do that, but the, the best way to ensure that your work is infused with authenticity and that people see 
that you're invested in your work is to root it in something you really care about and not just fabricate it. So a couple of questions you can begin to ask uh, in order to do this. I mean, the first one is what, what stirs your compassionate anger? right? What is it that fills you with? Now, I don't mean being slighted. I don't mean being offended in some way. I mean, what is it that stirs compassionate anger, compassion, which means to suffer with, right? What stirs that in you? Um, And and then ask, okay, are there any patterns I can identify there that I can found some work upon? Because that's going to be great fuel for your best work over the course of time. Right. Um, you know, another another question you can ask is what moves you emotionally? You know, what is it that causes you to to well up with emotion? I'm moved by the stories of underdogs. We may have talked about this last time I was mm-hmm. on your, your podcast, right? Um, I love the stories of underdogs and I, I watch movies and I read books and all of that that fuel that fire. And I get to work with a lot of underdogs. And all of my books, by the way, have been written to underdogs, people who are trying to overcome tremendous odds in their work. And so that fuels my work in profound and unique ways um, because that's something that's a unique theme that that flows through my work over the course of time. Uh, you know, what problems are you obsessed with solving that you just can't seem to let go of, right? Again, this could be unique to you. It could be something that, that other people may not find reflected in their body of work, but it is reflected in yours because uh, it's something that you deeply care about or are deep, deeply obsessed with. So you can begin to do a little bit of self-reflection, but for many people, it ends there. It's just they sit around thinking about what do I care about, but they never look for the patterns and try to identify how can I apply some of these things I've learned about myself to the work I'm doing so that I'm infusing myself into the tasks I'm already doing. Or worse, Mike, and I know you've seen this, I've seen this a lot in, in my work because I spend most of my time working in organizations, you know, working with companies, helping them figure some of this stuff out. Worse, people just say, well, I'm going to keep job, hopping from job to job to job until I find a job that perfectly lines up with what I like to do all day. <clears throat> Instead of saying, hey, I am going to figure out what I'm great at. I'm going to figure out what I care about, what moves me. And then I'm going to try to find a way to infuse those themes into the work already in front of me until I can navigate to something that is more consistent with, with the kind of work I think I could knock out of the park every time. But you don't start by looking for that work. Instead, you start by adding value anywhere you can, being resourceful, trying to pour yourself into what you're doing. And then you navigate slowly to those places where you can add unique value. It's interesting you talk about the, the, that idea of job, hopping from job to job rather than infusing it. I mean, the, Cal Newport's talked about this. John Eka. Right. Like, I mean, it, it's, it's, right. it's it, but everyone, like you said, everyone talks about it in a different way. Like how you and I talk about that versus how Cal does versus how John does. That, that the way we talk about it, the way we kind of impart, you know, our, our work um, resonates differently with everybody. I mean, because we can all have the same, you know, audience, quote unquote, but the way we, we convey it is going to resonate completely differently, even with the same person, right? No, I agree completely. And again, that's part of the authentic voice thing, right? Some people are going to resonate with Mike. Uh, more when you talk about things. Some people are going to reckon, uh, resonate with John. Some people are going to recognize or resonate with uh, Cal. And some people are going to resonate with me, right? Just depending on the group, your experience, whatever. We all have different backgrounds, different experiences, different uh, different confluence of skills, passions, and experiences. Or, so, or even just on one particular point. Do you know what I mean? Like it could get right, exactly. you, right? That's exactly right, you know? And so that's why, again, and I think all of us have done a, a, a 
tremendous amount of work trying to hone and refine our voice, you know, and figure out the best way for us to communicate. And that only happens over time, by the way. It's not something that's fabricated. It's something that's developed over the course of time. And each of us have put in a tremendous amount of work trying to figure out what is that perspective that I bring that's going to resonate with a certain group of people. Now, there are probably a lot of people who normally love what you have to say, who would absolutely despise what I have to say, right? (laughs) Or wouldn't receive it the same way. And that's okay. That's perfectly fine because, you know, not everybody is going to like what you do. Not everybody's going to uh, receive what you do. Uh, but it's important that you stay consistent, that you stay true, that you remain precise and consonant. Uh, in the end, the most gratifying choice, of course, is to stay true to yourself, make bold decisions and commit to a path that's reflective of your authentic voice, not a fabricated voice that's simply created to, to gain a little bit of short-term attention. One of the things I want to talk about, you kind of alluded to this earlier is, is the timing factor is i mean clearly mm-hmm. and, and we just you just talked about the the Jimi hendrix story which um if you have the patreon edition you heard if you didn't then you didn't hear that story <laughs> and it's a fantastic story uh but uh timing like you know i mean how you mentioned that it's important not only to you know to recognize you know not only what you what you're putting out to the world but how to coordinate your work with the ideas that have kind of already achieved some cultural momentum so how, how would you how would you um, help someone do that? Like in a quick, we don't have much time left, but like yeah. what's one thing that someone can do to kind of start to recognize, okay, this is the right time to start to dive into this, or this isn't the right time to, to, to make a course correction or, or what have you. So just to cut one really simple thing, since we don't have a lot of time, I would encourage people, make sure that you're staying connected to other people who are either in your industry or who have your best interest at heart. And that you're looking out for one another and you're paying attention to the themes together. You know, I have groups that I get with on a consistent basis and we talk about patterns in culture. We talk about themes in culture. We talk about what's going on, what's resonating, what's not resonating. Not because we want to go out and fabricate something that's going to take advantage of a trend. I think trend chasing is always a really, really bad strategy because I think you're always, you, know, you can chase the waves, you're going to end up on the beach, right? You're mm-hmm. not going to stay in the water. I think that, um, however, I do think that you can take advantage of cultural themes and you can weave them into your work in such a way that they will provide an entry point for people to connect with what you're doing in a more meaningful way, you know, because it's not just what you care about and it's not even just what your audience cares about. It's also about ideas that are already out there that are gaining cultural momentum. And when you build something at the confluence of those three forces, it can be really powerful. All right, final question. What's the final record that the Bengals have this year? I'm going to go with 11 and 5. That's what I said too. I told yeah. uh, I think 11 and 5. I think a lot of people the it, barring injury I think barring right, injury, because right. last year was a gong show for injuries. Oh, absolutely. No question. <laughs> it's really kind of amazing they did as well as they did, com- you know, considering the injuries they had last year. Absolutely. Um, absolutely. You know, I would I would say 11 and 5, and I think that there are going to be a couple of surprise wins. I think there are going to be a couple of surprise losses, but I think in the end, it's going to be 11 and 5. I think they're going to win the division, mm-hmm. um, and I think that they're going to win at least one playoff game this year. And I've got them going to the championship game, but I don't, ah, think, I don't okay, think they great. make it. You know what? I don't think they make it to the Super Bowl. I think they make yeah. it. I think they win two playoff games, maybe only one, because maybe they only need to win one if they win the division. Uh, if they finish eleven to five, they should only need to win one playoff game to get to the championships. True, the- theoretically. True. But that's what I. Th- I, th- I said eleven and five when I was talking to Nick from inside the jungle. I said he asked me, and I said I think eleven and five. They think I'm being optimistic. 
I don't know. I, we're Bengals fans. I mean, we should we should be more uh, hesitant, but uh, what the heck? Let's go for I, broke. I think <laughs> oh, those guys those guys are from Cincinnati. They're all from they're all from either Cincinnati or, or near the near. There's one of them's from north, like closer to Cleveland, but is not a Browns fan at all. Uh, He's a Bengals fan. <laughs> yeah, smart smart guy. <laughs> uh, Todd, where can people find you, and uh, where can they pick up your book? Uh, because it's it's. I mean, from what I've gone through already, and I mean, it's not a. The thing is. Uh, the one thing I love about you, right? It's not. It's not a tough read. It's not a. You know what I mean? Like some of these books, you're like, you feel like either that it's taking too long to get to what you really need to hear, or it's just it's too uncomfortable. This is right. a, a comfortable. You write in a very comfortable style that connects very easily. And, and I think anybody who wants to pick up any of your books, but start with louder than words, because I think that. That uh, I mean, this is this is a really good. I, I really like it, and I think a lot more people need to harness their authentic voice rather than just you know talk and not listen to what's going on inside their heads and inside their hearts. Great, thank you, and thanks for your compliment. Because you know, if I were a guy talking about harnessing the power of your authentic voice, and I couldn't write with an authentic voice, I think that would be a problem. So, <laughs> a so thank bit. you. <laughs> so people can find you where. Uh, ToddHenry.com is the best place to find me. And then uh, you can get to my book anywhere books are sold. Uh, The podcast is called The Accidental Creative. It's also available wherever you listen to podcasts. Awesome. Thanks again for joining me, Todd. And uh, who day? Who day, Mike? Big thanks to Todd Henry for joining me on the show this week. It's always a treat to get to talk to him. And yes, he is very prolific. A book every two years uh, has been, you know, it's phenomenal, a phenomenal work ethic. I, I would like to get to that point as well. Uh, unfortunately, I would have to write, well, actually, I'm going to, you know, you never know. I could have a, another decent-sized book out between now and the end of the year. Who knows? Maybe a bit of a spoiler alert. Even if you're not in the Patreon community, you're, maybe you're getting a bit of one right now. If you want to be part of the Patreon community and get bonus episodes of this podcast every week, two of them uh, in that 10-minute range, and they're more personal and and uh, a little bit more uh, topic-oriented as opposed to, say, subject-oriented in terms of interviewing someone. Uh, you can head over to patreon.com slash productivityist. Check out all the perks, including the new $25 perk that gets you a Productivityist pack shipped to you every four months uh, in January, in September, and in May. Uh, you can check that out uh, by going over to patreon.com slash productivityist. And I'd love to see you supporting us. There's a very active community. I've got uh, a a number of people that are backing me, and I'd love to count you as one of them. Uh, Next week, we get another great show lined up. Uh, A really, really cool guest who I've chatted with before as well. I'm not going to tell you who it is. I hope you will join me again, but it's another really in-depth conversation. And until then, uh, I wanted to thank you very much for joining me. And stop guessing in the meantime. Start going in the meantime and in between time. And keep moving things forward, okay? We'll talk to you next week. 